If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Friday, March the 1st, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States, and in the case of this podcast, those who are going to be challenging him a year from now. I'm Bill Whalen, the Hoover Institution's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Research Fellow. Our guests today, plural, in the Hoover Recording Studio here on the campus of Stanford University are David Brady and Doug Rivers. Dave Brady is the Davies Family Senior Fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He's also the Bowen H. and Janice Arthur McCoy Professor of Political Science at the Graduate School of Business here at Stanford. Doug Rivers, likewise, is a Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and a Stanford University Political Scientist, and he actually taught a class today. Very good. <laughs> By the way, Doug Rivers is also the Chief Scientist at YouGov PLC, a global polling firm. He also has one of my favorite Twitter descriptions. He calls himself, quote, an absent-minded professor, sometime entrepreneur, pollster, and econometrician. Guys, thanks for coming on today. So we're going to talk about the 2020 race. We're going to talk about the Democrats. Maybe we'll get in a little time to get in the Republicans as well. I think it's a good time to talk about it because the debates are fast approaching. The Democrats are going to have 12 debates in 2019 and 2020, six in 2019, six in 2020. Uh, They start as soon as June, a time and location yet to be decided. So it's fast approaching. The Iowa caucuses on February the 3rd, 2020. So that's about 11 months away. Doug Rivers, get ready to go to Iowa. Good luck. Uh, Super Tuesday is now one year away. Ten states, including California and Texas, going down on that day. I want you two to take a deep breath and relax because I'm now going to list all the Democrats who are either running or thinking about running. I'm going to go get some food while you do that. If this were the summer of 1968, this would be the equivalent of putting Iron Butterfly on your record player and playing Inagata DeVita for 17 minutes. (laughs) It may take that long to get through the Democratic field, but here's go. Okay, so it's Friday, March the 1st. As of today, at this moment, there are 11 Democrats who have declared that they are running for president. One of them just announced today. Fresh news. So those Democrats are in alphabetical order. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. I think a former Dave Brady student. Former HUD Secretary Julian Castro. Also a Stanford graduate. I don't know if you taught him or not. Mm -hmm. Maryland Congressman John Delaney. Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. California Senator Kamala Harris. The new entry today, Washington Governor Jane Inslee, Jay Inslee, excuse me, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Mary Ann Williamson, who is she, you say? She is the best-selling spiritual author, and her campaign slogan is Join the Evolution, not revolution, but evolution. And then finally, an entrepreneur by the name of Andrew Yang, who is running under the banner of the universal basic income, giving everybody $1,000 a month, or as he calls it, the Freedom Dividend. Sounds kind of like the freedom fries that they once had in the House of Representatives. So that's 11 who are already in the race. There are two more who have exploratory committees going on, so they're kind of half pregnant, if you will. One is South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and the other is New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. So now we're up to 13 of Baker's dozen. Now, deep breath. There are another 12 we're still waiting to hear from. And they are alphabetically former Vice President Joe Biden who's doing a real incredible dance of ales here. He's down to about his last hanky, though, so he should be getting in or not getting in any day now. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, Montana Governor Steve Bullock, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, 
Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, California Congressman Eric Swalwell, Virginia Senator Mark Warner. So that is a total of 25 Democrats either running or thinking about running right now. So a few notes, gentlemen, then we'll get into the actual meat of this conversation. <clears throat> of the 13 in the mix right now, seven men, six women. There's a lot of diversity on display here, diversity in terms of gender, diversity in terms of race, diversity in terms of sexuality. Pete Buttigieg, the uh, South Bend mayor, is openly gay. It is a field that is long on progressives and very short on moderates. There are six senators in this contest right now. Why is that worth noting? Because if you go back to 1972 and move forward, you'll find five times when a senator was his party's nominee. The senator's records in those five races, one win, Barack Obama. Four losses, John McCain, John Kerry, Bob Dole, and George McGovern. There is one governor right now announced, Isley, who announced today. Dating back to 1976, governors had been the nominee six times. And the governor's records, four wins, which would be Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush, and two losses, Mitt Romney and Mike Dukakis. And yes, there's a Massachusetts connection there. So, there you have it. Now, Democratic floodwaters. Went back and did a little homework. Fifteen Democrats ran in 1972. That didn't work out too well. They lost 49 states that year. 16 Democrats ran in 1976. That worked out better. They won the election that year. It's not the first time we've had a double-digit Democratic field. Besides 72 and 76, we also had double-digit Democrats in 1988, 2004, and 2008. We've had double-digit Republican fields in 1996, 2000, 2008, 2012, and 2016. But when a party has a double-digit field, Guess what? Seven times this has happened, only two winners, 2016 and 2000. And we can agree those are both very unusual elections, one featuring Donald Trump, the other featuring the Supreme Court of the United States. So if this race looks familiar to me, it's because we saw this movie in 2016 in some regards. At this point in 2015, if we're having this conversation, we would have been talking about 17 Republicans in the field. Now, by December of that year, that field had lost five candidates. It was actually 12 moving forward. But... Here we are. So let's start the conversation. Is the new new in presidential politics to have double-digit candidates? Yes. Yes. Okay. Why? Because they can. Because they can. They um, always could. No, is it, is it because it's just very easy just to march down to City Hall and file? Or is it or is it because of the nature of this race and also 2016 we have parties that have kind of very open identity questions? Well, certainly the parties are completely porous. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, you know, despite the regnant political science on this, which is the party deciding uh, these candidates are self-nominated, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a pretty reasonable record of people who you would have guessed uh, with a relatively low chance of winning the nomination actually winning it. Um, so. Uh, and the cost is low. Uh, some of the people you mentioned, uh, I don't think we'll be discussing a whole lot more here. So this is their 15 seconds of fame. Right. Okay. Well, I, there have always been a lot of candidates. The question is, there are more serious. It seems to me there are more serious candidates. So if you look at the Republican field in 2016, there were five or six or seven people that you thought could have won. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in the Democratic field this time, the fact that you have six senators, those governors, there are 10 or 12, 13 credible candidates. That, I think, is what's unusual. In the past, you, you didn't really have that. Um, 
and why why so that's and and that's one way they used to solve the problem was the first four primaries were just to their retail primaries where you have to talk to mm-hmm. you have to talk to actual voters you can't win them by tv and so then you got down to a super tuesday and then then you got the street sweepers were gone after the first four and that super tuesday solved it and that doesn't that doesn't work anymore so they so they're so they're around longer so it has changed but um i you, think it's because they're more serious but don't you think we're going to be down to five or six candidates by super tuesday Yes, and that's unusual right. because the strategy of Super Tuesday in the past had been get down to one or two and then let Super Tuesday decide it. So if you think back to, all right, so go back uh, by Super Tuesday uh, in 76. Remember, it was Clinton's idea to push for that with the Democratic Study Group because the idea was that the, South, it was the Super Tuesday was packed mm-hmm. on Southern voters because Southern voters and right. the primaries were closer to mm-hmm. November voters. So my my view is, if you look, there are quite a few. But Carter, but who was who was left by Car- with Carter in '76? Well, you'd all lasted towards the end. Yeah, there um, are two or three. But Jerry, I also Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown entered and um, entered late. One, right. But, yes, and actually won uh, primary too, I believe. Yes. I think he won Maryland, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. and, so, there, and there was one other candidate. That's not six. Right. And they come well, in no, after the thing. Brown came in after Super Tuesday, right? Because he didn't like the fact that Carter had the lead. Then what about eighty? But in both uh, two thousand eight and mm-hmm. uh, eight, twelve, uh, and sixteen on the uh, Republican side, there were uh, pretty decent numbers of candidates that lasted a while. I mean, the thing that we've seen that I think is unusual lately. Um, which you saw in 2012 was these mm-hmm. candidates would appear for a week, they'd right. get their they'd 15 fall. minutes yeah. of aim, and then they would disappear. And but, we overlearned that lesson, and we thought it was um, that Trump would follow the same pattern, because right. he seemed so much like you know Herman Cain. And right. That's the but that's the very important point because right. in the in the 2012 race, it was kind of a king of the hill. You knew Romney given the Republican tradition of having someone that was right. his turn, McCain in 2008. So people would make a run at him, and then just as Doug said, they'd fall away. That's mm-hmm. not what happened in 2016. But that has not really happened on the Democratic side. No, but, no, but it's going to, uh, my, my best is, it's going to happen this year. Because well, there is no, in, in 2008, it was McCain's right, turn, 2012. Right. But in 2016, it was... Nobody's turn, but he changed that all around. I think that's going to happen to the Democrats. So there's a similarity, I think, between 2016 and potentially 2020 in this. You go back and look at the polls in 2016. On the Republican side, who were the front runners? Well, Jeb Bush wasn't considered a front runner. Well, this was name familiarity, the Bush name, and so forth. But Jeb Bush did not necessarily represent the beating heart of his party. And that was a problem. If you look at Democratic polls right now, who's at the top of the polls? Biden and Sanders. It's Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, and then down in third and fourth place, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris. I would ask you guys, does Joe Biden in 2020 represent the beating heart of the Democratic Party? No, he's at 20%. Yeah, no, it's certainly the Democratic base wants a progressive candidate, Mm -hmm. uh, and Sanders is doing fairly well. He isn't even a Democrat, of course. As I say, they want a progressive candidate. Although <laughs> well, I believe there is uh, the DNC wants Sanders to actually 
declare himself yes. as a Democrat in our primaries, right. but to be continued. But okay, so that's where it's interesting question. So Doug, you mentioned the Democrats want a progressive candidate. You guys have been polling on what Democrats want. And the Democrats want something specific in the way of the candidate, or they just want somebody who can beat Donald Trump, or do they think anybody can beat Donald Trump at this point? I think Democrats are acting like anybody can beat Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, and the assumption is Trump is far to the right and we can go far to the left and we can uh, nominate someone and elect someone that we have conviction. I, I, and that's, that, in my view, that's a, that's a mistake. Uh, I do not, I do not, I never thought that uh, they could nominate anybody and they could win. And uh, so about a week ago, I asked Doug to run a question saying, would you vote for any Democrat against Trump? And instead he did kind of an interesting experiment that has uh, a very interesting result. I turn it over to Doug. Yeah, so we uh, asked uh, respondents in the survey, uh, trial heats, that is, would you vote, for example, for uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump if they were the Democratic and Republican nominees? And because there's so many, we didn't feel we should uh, take people through the full set of possible uh, candidates. Mm -hmm. So each voter got uh, three. three trial heats. Right. And if they consistently said they were going to vote for the Democratic candidate against Trump in each of those, we then followed up. Would you vote for any Democrat over Trump? Um, and if they always said they were going to vote for Trump, we said, would you vote for Trump over any Democrat? So this puts uh, the electorate into three groups. Uh, there's a group, which is 32% of the population, that says they will vote for any Democrat uh, over Trump. doesn't make any difference if it's uh, a moderate Democrat or a uh, socialist. 32%. Yeah. What does that sound low? That does sound low. It struck me as lower. You go to registered voters, it goes up a bit. It goes right? up a bit, but uh -huh. then those, there are twenty-seven percent of uh, the public that says they will vote for Trump over any Democrat, regardless of who it is. Right. Um, and then there's forty-one percent that says it depends on uh, who the candidate is. Um, and to me, that says uh, first, there's a much larger set of people who are potentially up for grabs. Uh, than you would think from looking at Trump's popularity, which, you know, this flat line for the last year. If the Democrats think that they can um, win with anybody. Right. This, it seems to me, says that's not right. And next, let's look at the individual trial heats and see who's doing well and who's not. Now, I, I want to caution you. At, at this stage, um, a lot of these candidates are not well known. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so you may think that Julian Castro is Fidel Castro's uh, long lost son. Um, or brother. And um, so some candidates have significantly more not sure how they would vote. Right, um, right. Presumably because people aren't quite sure who they are. Um, but um, uh, the Democrat that uh, actually does best in a one-on-one uh, -on -one trial heat with Donald Trump is Bernie Sanders, who uh, leads uh, Trump by nine points, uh, 47 to 38. Okay. Uh, with only 15% undecided. Uh -huh. uh, that is, the Democratic base is, would be very happy with uh, Bernie Sanders as their candidate, uh, and uh, he's polling surprisingly well. Uh, Joe Biden uh, is 
is next. Uh, he's uh, 46% versus Trump, 36%. A little mm -hmm. higher uncertainty there. Right. Surprising because Biden, you would think, is more of a known quantity, but would do fairly well. Um, there are other candidates out there. Um, Elizabeth Warren, she's quite well known. Uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, Trump has been attacking her for years, and uh, she's in a 40-40 uh, dead heat with Trump in the uh, trial heat. Uh, a lot of these sort of mid-range candidates at the moment are polling roughly equal with Trump. Mm -hmm. um, and what that says to me is, you know, don't take this too seriously on what's, as a prediction of what's going to happen. But uh, if the Democrats nominate the wrong candidate, we could easily get a very competitive election where uh, Trump could squeak by in an election that he should not win, given um, how small his base is. I broke down some of that data a little bit. It was kind of interesting because I was surprised to see Sanders was the leader because a bunch of the, so in the middle category, there's a category that people will vote for Trump under any circumstances and against Trump. But in that middle group, uh, it depends on the candidate, a lot of them are independent through Republican, about half. And so I thought, well, how is Sanders doing well with them? Turns out that on the Democrat, when you look at strength of party ID, strong Democrat, weak, mm -hmm. lean Democrat, Biden, uh, according to what Doug said earlier, Biden gets burned by strong Democrats. About 10% of them say they don't like him because mm -hmm. he's, the point Doug made earlier, he's not the beating heart right. of the Democratic Party. And yeah. Bernie does much better with those strong Democrats, etc. And amazingly, uh, among independents who Trump beat, Trump beats uh, Biden among independents, but Bernie is very close to him. So I'm surprised by that. Yeah, so this is not Bill Clinton's Democratic Party. Right, we've established that. It's not Hillary Clinton's Democratic Party either. Right. I mean, Biden, I think, by uh, is in the establishment lane for the Democrats this mm -hmm. year, which worked out quite badly for Jeb Bush on the Republican side right. uh, in 2016. Right. And it didn't work out well for Hillary, at least in this regard, at the end of the day, enthusiasm. She got her party's nomination, but Democrats were not necessarily enthusiastic. They were and this, not. And this gets back to the question about beating Donald Trump. Are Democrats enthusiastic at this point? They're very enthusiastically opposed to Donald Trump. Right. But um, but it's a twofold issue. You have to be enthusiastic about beating the other guy, turn but out. you also have to be excited about the person who's representing yeah. your party. So my guess is a bunch of these candidates Democrats could be enthusiastic about on either ideological grounds, which mm -hmm. explains the... Uh, uh, Sanders uh, doing well, right. uh, or on identity grounds. You know, uh, this is a field with lots of women uh, and lots of black candidates, uh, and that is the Democratic, the core part of the Democratic base. But mm -hmm. my view on that is the debates are going to be hard for some of them, because they're they're throwing around I'm for Medicare, for all I'm for free tuition, mm -hmm. and they're going to get hit with questions in the debate from other candidates, centrists and others, they're going to say, how are you going to pay for that? And if you looked at Kamala Harris, she's at the at her coming out party when she said, I'm going to run. Right. Uh, she said, oh, no, we don't need, we're going to have single payer, we don't need insurance companies anymore. She's already backed off of that. 
So these these a lot of these candidates have not run at this level. Gillibrand, a bunch of them, Booker haven't run at the national level. Right. They're going to make mistakes, and some of them some of them are going to fall out. Yeah, I don't think being too far left is a problem in the Democratic primary debate. Although I'm curious, let's say that let's say they set up the June debate like they did the Republican ones, where if you have let's say 18 Democrats running, just to throw a number out there, right. you can't have 18 people on the stage at the same time. You have to have two debates. You have to have right. the so-called kiddies table, and then the adult one after that. Two debates, two separate ones. Well, I think the plan is to just divide them at random. At random, it is. Okay. Is, and the second thing uh, they're planning to do is who are there? They they may not have every candidate. Right. Uh, says they're a candidate, have the debate. So they were going to look at not just the polls, but at fundraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they haven't decided on what the criteria are yet, but I said, well, I would like to go a little bit back to Doug's notion that in the Democratic primary, you can't be too far left. But that's the problem. You can be too far left for that's, the electorate in November. Yeah, absolutely. You can. So they can get hurt with their answers. The answers that work for them in February, March, and April right. will, in a, in a long, drawn-out contest, it seems to me, are going to hurt them in November. Because in November, they're definitely going to have to say, how are we paying for this? How are we doing this? And it does seem to me that Donald Trump, in his State of the Union, says, here's what I'm going to campaign on. He's right. going to run against socialism. Um, so every year when we have the primaries, uh, People like us speculate about you're going to have a uh, open convention, uh, <laughs> and it never happens. However, um, there have been changes between 2016 and today right. that make it harder for uh, the primaries to winnow out the presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first has been to uh, the superdelegates, right. uh, which. Sanders viewed as uh, unfair to him, been reduced. Um, second, you've got uh, California now and Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kamala Harris will be in uh, yep. running in California. There's no chance that she's going to drop out before that, right. even if she's done quite badly in the mm-hmm. previous ones. And the number of delegates that California will select uh, will mean that... Um, if she does well in California, now it's not a winner-take-all system, it's right. proportional, um, she will suddenly have a bunch of delegates, um, whereas whoever won Iowa and New Hampshire will have a handful from those. Think, the right. other thing to think, the Democrats have always had, since Jesse Jackson ran in 88, they changed the rules in 92, they're very strictly proportional, and the Republicans had a close one last time, Trump did win, but it was kind of late, mm-hmm. And the point of that was the Republicans have more winner-take-all primaries, and they don't have so the Democrats, with that proportionality and the three other points Doug mentioned. Right. But effectively, in the past, with California coming at the end, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. New York coming relatively late, uh, after the field had been winnowed out, that right. led to, you know, weakening the effect of proportional representation. Uh, right. Because uh, you would pick up these huge majorities in the late primaries, which would be enough to overcome the fact that your polarities in the early primaries might be on 25% of the vote. And, exactly. And the, the other thing, so if you think back to 2016, uh, Trump comes out in May, declares his president, everybody assumed, well, he won't last very long, etc. 
But, you know, he's the leader in uh, August going into the things. He's the leader with 17, 18% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Bush is below 10. Nobody's even has even half of his vote. because. So you can imagine a similar situation drawn out for the Democrats, even after Super Tuesday, where the leader has only, right. as he just said, it could be Kamala Harris with 21% right. so a couple of, of, thoughts here. of so, the delegates and the vote. Right. So if you look at the schedule, the early primaries, you have Iowa. Then you have New Hampshire. Then you have South Carolina. Then you have Nevada. I think I think those right. are three, four. Um, I could give you a case where, well, who's going to win Iowa? Well, maybe Bernie Sanders, because he was there the last time around. He'll have a network. Maybe he doesn't win it. You just shrug. Maybe he doesn't win it. Maybe the quote-unquote winner is you know, somebody who shows up mysteriously in a Doug Rivers poll, and because he or she finished third or fourth place, they're declared the binner, big winner that night, and they slingshot to New Hampshire. Yeah. Well, New Hampshire is probably a Bernie Sanders fortress, so let's assume yeah. Bernie Sanders w wins that. Then we go to South Carolina, where Bernie Sanders will not, not run, well. and the perception is perhaps that's where Kamala Harris will pick up because large African-American vote, or Cory Booker. Or Booker. Well. Yeah. Then we're out to Nevada. Interesting state because of a large Hispanic population, yeah. so we don't know what happens then. Then we're into Super Tuesday, and what if we have just a real hung jury after Super Tuesday, oh, where, right. you, where you. you have you have Kamala winning in California, better or work if he gets into this thing. We still don't know. He carries Texas yep. back in Massachusetts. Elizabeth Warren wins that. Bernie picks off a couple, and yep. so we stagger along with maybe a half a dozen of these people or so, all yep. all running. Maybe pollsters delight. Well, but the, uh, we've <laughs> never had that after. We've never had five or six candidates that closely packed after. You've had a bunch of candidates run before, but usually yeah, there but is clarity. They sort out by right. then. Yeah, the, if you're at five or six real candidates mm -hmm. that, uh, that are winning different constituencies right. after Super Tuesday, uh, it's very hard to get to a majority. You've got to clear out the field, yeah. um, and it needs to be done, basically. And without super delegates. Right. Well, they put the superdelegates in to solve that problem. By the way, on this poll, Doug didn't mention it, but Beto O'Rourke uh, did, of the sort of candidates that haven't really done much in government, he, mm -hmm. he did very well among independents, and he came, he came uh, closer among independents and not decided on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. he, came, he, did, he did reasonably. What do, you, what do you have him at there in the second data set? Um, so we... Because this was interesting and I wanted to make sure it was real, we collected another thousand interviews, so we're up to two thousand interviews, and I'm going to do another thousand over the weekend. But we have O'Rourke at uh, thirty-eight uh, to Trump forty-one. Okay. Wow. Um, which surprised me because um, you know I oh, I think he ran a rather good campaign in Texas, and he's a fresh face. And, right. Um, but you also have to be really attuned to politics to know who better will work is at this point. You think so? Well, you had to really be paying attention to the midterm election and the Texas Senate race and to, have to, really, to really have a formed opinion of him. I How think. does Gillibrand do compared to? Uh, she's uh, 42 to 40 over Trump. Yeah. Um, Those are all I, I'm not sure. I, I I want to look at these trial heats a little more in terms of how people are evaluating the candidates that are not in the top tier, and I don't think Gillibrand is really in the top group of uh, candidates. So I don't know if this is good science or allowable science, but it would be very tempting to put a name of someone on that list who cannot run for president. Who are you thinking of? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because yes. in 2019 we've already had a primary. 
yeah. and that is the AOC primary. Yes. She puts out the Green New Deal, and yeah. literally before the thing has hit the internet, you have about five or six presidential candidates endorsing it. Not yeah. a good move, by the way, to read an endorsement without reading it first. Uh, but you have Democrats knocking each over to be AOC acceptable. She's definitely a star among the Democratic right. Party, and she's... You know, right. amazing in social she's media and pretty effective. Uh, she's not a star to Nancy Pelosi. No, she's not. Or but people who are sitting there thinking about the 2020 election. No, but it's interesting yeah. in that you see her as a filter for presidential candidates and that they are clearly yeah. trying to jump through that hoop to please those who follow AOC to seem friendly for her. I don't see them doing this for Barack Obama right now. By the way, interesting thing happened yesterday in Texas. Michelle Obama was asked, she was at an event in Austin, Texas. I think she was selling a book or doing whatever she was doing. And she was asked about running for president. And she shot it down with no uncertainty, said no. I think the question was, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And she said, I'm not going to be in the White House. And the questioner then did a good job saying, well, why not? She said, because it's time to turn things over to a new generation. Not a Joe Biden endorsement. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, why, but what would you think if a uh, celebrity, an Oprah, got into this race? What would I think? I think yeah. you're about to set me up on a question here because you've asked. I don't it. have any data on it. <laughs> uh, my, we tried Mark Zuckerberg at one point, and he did not do well. Okay, so the first question, uh, so I think the, the first way. Only in Silicon Valley would you put Mark Zuckerberg no, it's got a, in so a it has presidential to be, contest. It has to be a clean celebrity, somebody who's had relatively good press the last six months. Oh, so Oprah. That gets rid of, that goes to Zuckerberg. Well, Oprah just lost a lot of money on Weight Watchers, so we can question her business. I, that, won't, that won't affect her fans. <laughs> right. Uh, so the first question would be, Doug, what is the base on your vote? In other words, you look at your poll and you put any generic Democrat on that thing. What is, what is their baseline for Trump? Is it 35 percent, something like that? No, it's high 30s. High 30s, okay. If you do register voters. And, and you know, and uh, well, let me do registered yeah. voters. I'll yeah. tell you. Uh, we'll change. Right. So then the question is really, Oprah could start with that base of votes, but can she build beyond that? I think she's a pretty clean celebrity, and I think she's a pretty intriguing candidate. I well, think she asking, actually do. Yeah, you're asking. You're, yeah. Oh, so right. you're any Democrat. Right. Well, that'd be interesting. Any Would Democrat. Be. Any Democrat, just Democrat X. Yeah, so if you look at registered voters, um, the number of not undecideds mm -hmm. goes down from 15 to 20 percent mm -hmm. to 6 to 12 yeah. percent. Um, and basically, uh, all the Democrats are in the mid 40s, and Trump is never or above. He loses um, to everybody but Castro, right? Um, yeah. Right. So, right so when you go registered voters, uh, which which is a filter, it right. probably right. makes sense to use. Right. Then then the Democrats do right. a bit better. So here's my hunch on Oprah. If she were but to, but it's close. Right. So yeah. if she were to be serious about running for office, I think what would happen to her is be what is happening now to Amy Klobuchar, who with almost every week does not go by without something bad written about Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. Somebody on Capitol Hill, somebody involved in somebody else's presidential campaign wants her out of that race or wants to drive her into the ground. So every week we get a story about what... her former employees. Well, that, but somebody, but somebody has a vested interest in this. So every well, week... fewer are also right. Republicans who right. don't want a centrist... Uh, right. The point is every week we get a story about how awful she is. That she may seem wonderful and what a great event she did in the snow and all that, but here's the Amy Klobuchar you don't know. I wonder if Oprah actually got serious about running if somebody would try to do a deconstruction campaign against her just to try to get her out of the way. 
her staff. Yeah, but she's not nearly as juicy a target as Trump, and it didn't work for him. That's a great question about celebrities. Let me ask you another question here, Doug. So so I've already listed 25 Democrats, and there's a guy looking at an independent run. Yes, he's polling on, you meaning Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. He's got got some big green out of those coffee beans. Indeed, well, former uh, CEO of Starbucks, but he is so spending a billion dollars right. and getting four uh, percent of the vote, mm-hmm. uh, which is about where I think you would end up. Right, but he's but he's looking at this, and if you read the fine print about what he said, he said he's going to run, and then there's a little asterisk. But he wouldn't hurt. The asterisk he is hurt the Democrats. The asterisk is if I see a path to two seventy, I'll do right. it. So it looks like a great out. But so if right. you know, and the path for him is the Democrats nominate Sanders or Warren or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, who will make the uh, suburban voters uh, that help the Democrats win the House uh, in 2018 uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so long as he hasn't actually run, uh, you know, he hasn't spoiled himself by uh, uh, announcing, uh, you know, I think he might have a few days of getting some decent poll numbers. Why are Democrats so exercised about him? Well, because they do need to win the suburbs. The uh, affluent, educated whites normally used to Florida. Well, I think it's different from that. I don't. He gets four percent. I don't think he would do very well, Um, Mm -hmm. but I do think he would hurt Democrats with, you know, the legitimate swing voter group. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard for me to see any of these Democrats, you know, short of maybe Sherrod Brown. Uh, doing well among white uh, ex-urban voters. Right. Um, so there are a lot of these candidates that have some appeal yeah. uh, to well-educated suburbanites. Well, I, I want to go back to that. When, if you look at uh, Kaiser Permanente polls, which are quite good on health care, when you uh, talk about Medicare fraud, you just throw it out, they like it, but then you, you, you introduce any are you willing to, any of the problems, to give up your how much are you for willing it? to pay, yeah. uh, what does that mean, does it mean you don't get to see your doctor? There's all sorts of things that Kaiser mm-hmm. introduces these things, and the support falls off for them. And those suburban voters, who all, by and large, have health insurance, they're going to want to know about free tuition, those are the voters that I think are crucial, and I think the good thing about the study Doug's mentioning is in that central group, even when you do registered voters, I think this election is going to be decided by those people who say it depends on the candidate. Yes. Right. Cool. We agree finally. Stop. <laughs> Stop. And <laughs> the podcast there. We've talked a lot about Democrats, and we haven't talked about Republicans. So while there are 25 Democrats looking at this thing, there is one Republican who we think is running, and that's Donald Trump. And then, challenging Donald Trump, Donald Trump got a challenger last yes. week. Former Good. Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld. And a who second may who sit, talked about who it. Who may sound familiar because Bill Weld was Gary Johnson's running mate as a libertarian in 2016, but he's now a Republican again. He was a Massachusetts governor in the 1990s. He's running against Trump. And Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has been talked about, and former Ohio Governor John Kasich has been Hogan talking about this. complained uh, in a speech last week that the Republican National Party and the convention was being set up to keep, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that Trump had no uh, yeah. opponents right. in the primaries. Right. Um, so Hogan <laughs> is uh, less a figure from the past than Weld, mm-hmm. uh, or even Kasich. Kasich, right. Um, 
I don't think at the moment any of them has any chance uh, of making any headway, but they're registering their interests in case lightning strikes and uh, you know, something emerges that really does detach Trump's base from supporting him. In the weekly YouGov Economist poll, the, one of the figures you look at is support for Donald Trump, mm -hmm. strong support or some support. It was among the some support, the people who went, didn't strongly support Trump. Those are the people who, when you ask them, do you want Donald Trump to run a second time, there's a significant number that say they don't want him to run again. Right. That number went down coming into the 2018 elections. Mm -hmm. It's come back up a little, but in the last uh, two weeks, it's gone back down again, so Trump's support Right. is back up. So uh, on the whole, there's some some possibility, but I, I don't see, I, I think even I mean, if, if the election ran, were, run, were held today, mm -hmm. Trump would bulldoze these guys. Yeah. Right, so I went back and did a little homework. A 1976 Gerald Ford is almost taken out by Ronald Reagan in the Republican primaries. Gallup in 1976 gave Ford 68% approval among Republicans. 1980, Jimmy Carter faces off against Ted Kennedy in the primaries, not as close as 1976. Carter's popularity among Democrats was only 56% yep. in 1980. Now, they both won their battles, but they lost the war. Right. So if you're looking at Republicans challenging Trump, what is really the argument other than you're just trying to soften him up for November? I think the argument is for a guy like Hogan, who's been very successful governor, that Donald Trump has changed uh, the Republican Party in ways that he doesn't like it. it right. It's, uh, an, the, the Republican Party was not known as anti-immigrant. Mm -hmm. It was uh, pro-trade, was pro-business, it was limited government, uh, limited, and that means limited expenditures. And I think uh, Hogan and to a certain extent Kasich, and uh, well, they uh, one argument to make is this, it, I don't want a Republican Party that looks like this. I want one that looks more like this. That's the best. That's the best reason they have. And their problem is that Republican Party no longer exists. Right. Or uh, it's pretty well hidden if it does. Look, in the case of Hogan, in the case of Hogan, it's a very interesting calculation. This is a guy who just got reelected. Yeah. So he's just starting a second term. And I can tell you, having worked for a California governor, Pete Wilson, who lost the fifth year of his governorship to a failed presidential effort, it was a lost year. So if Hogan wants to do this to a yep. second term, be my guest. And if you want to play chess and let's say, okay, let's go out to 2024, and Larry Hogan wants to be a presidential candidate in 2024, there'll be a lot of people with the likes of CPAC and other conservative gatherings reminding you that Larry Hogan challenged your president in 1976. Yep. Now, then again, Ronald Reagan got over this in 1980, yep. but I'm not sure Larry Hogan could do the same. Yeah, because... Hogan's appeal is that he's able to carry a democratic state, whereas right. Reagan's appeal was heartfelt among the Republican base. Right. But again, it gets back to our notion of you're running against the beating heart of your party right now, and whether Republicans yeah. would admit or not, Donald Trump is the beating heart of the party right yeah. now. Yeah, no, I think you're right on yeah. the percentages of this. When, the, when they had trouble, the support was uh, much lower, and mm -hmm. it's not low for Trump. Yeah, so you constantly hear that you know Republicans on Capitol Hill, in private, will say critical things about Trump. But the striking thing about the Cohen uh, hearing uh, yesterday was uh, uh, was how all the Republicans um, on the House committee basically uh, 
They would, I guess there they was would. one minor exception, but uh, they did not defend Trump. They did not defend Trump. Well, but they, they tried. Certainly, they tried to attack uh, the accuser's character. Right. Right. Uh, it it was not a good look if something really bad comes out of about Trump. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the comparison is always to Howard Baker and the Watergate hearings, the Senate Watergate hearings in 1973, where right. he said, "What did the, the question is? What did the president know, and when did he know it?" And even though he was actually quite cooperative with the White House, yeah, he, uh, he, did strategy, it he was trying to get clarity. He thought he was helping Nixon by asking that question. Yeah, right. And right. and it at least had the look of uh, I care about the truth here. Right. Uh, whereas that was uh, a completely partisan uh, showing. Um, I got it. I got a speaking of uh, an event that would uh, hurt Trump. I got a uh, quick not tweet because I'm not on Twitter, but a little text message from a, f a Republican friend in Washington who said uh, the word is that Donald Jr. is going to be indicted. Do you think that's, I don't, I don't think that would shake the base either. I, so I think the next couple months are going to be interesting in that, look, eventually, eventually Mueller's going to come out with this report. <laughs> I think it's 2019. It's been what, two years now? To, so yeah. Yeah. sooner or later he's going to come out with it. Let's assume that there's nothing in there damning in terms of collusion with Russia. And I think you saw this yesterday in the hearing in that regard, in that, you know, Cohen in some ways kind of shut the door on collusion. And, you know, the idea of the trip to Czechoslovakia, he shot that down. Right. Uh, he debunked some of the conspiracy things, but he left a door very wide open in terms of the operations of Trump world. So to me, this is a big, juicy invitation for Democrats to hold a lot of hearings in which you trot out the likes of Don Jr. and Ivanka yeah. and Jared. And if there's just smoke there and there's no flames, boy, it's going to be real eye candy to watch. I, I it's true, but I don't, you know, I don't actually see that many people following it. Well, short of the type of revelation that we haven't seen so far, I right. do not think the Mueller report, uh, the investigations, indicting uh, various people in Trump world, are actually going to move uh, the needle on. That's um, that's what I, I saw. I saw a snap poll, by the way, on um, on Cohen's testimony. It said thirty-seven percent of people who watched believed him, which struck me as low. I didn't expect yeah. a majority, but I I was under the assumption. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Doug. I've always assumed when it came to Trump like and Trump dislike, that there was about a forty-five percent base that just cannot tolerate Donald Trump, and yeah. there's maybe a forty percent base that will support him. Yeah, I think so. That's thirty. About right. So thirty-seven yeah. surprised me as a little shy. Yeah, that seemed low. And yeah. And you know Cohen's performance was pretty good. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought where he uh, I thought it was uh, it was all right, but I thought he he got too upset with Jordan several times when he tried to defend I'm not a bad man. That I, he, I mean at that point he said I, he should have said in my view I made my mistakes, but fighting back it looked like it just he didn't look good because then he looked. If, if you're sort of neutral on the hearing or an independent, it seems to me you're looking at that and going, well. You, you two pride yourselves in your entrepreneurial skills. I don't think either one of you is invested in medallions, as you, the cab business. <laughs> no, I'm not. No. Apparently you can do quite well in them, though. <laughs> don't think it's a clean business. Let me, let me ask you a mechanical question, Doug. If you, have, if, you have, if you have 18 Democrats running at the same time, what, what does that look like on an Internet ballot? Uh, and is there any is there any argument in terms of buying? Well, we did the California recall with a hundred and fifty or something. Good heavens! Right, and, got, and Schwarzenegger and the only ones was that was accurate. <laughs> yeah. So when you do the listing, you do it alphabetically. 
Uh, we typically randomize. 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 You just. But, mm-hmm. You know, right now people's answers to the thirteen or eighteen or twenty-seven potential candidates. Um, I think it's a Rorschach test on how you read those tables. Right. Um, so people are just racing to the names they know. Yeah. The record of polling at this stage to predict anything yeah. has been really poor. Uh, yeah, there's just too too much too much to happen. So, for me, the the main benefit of what Doug was talking the experiment was uh, I I think it is important to try and establish what are the numbers of people who would not vote for right. would vote for uh, right. There are patterns you can find in Trump. the data. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know if every single Democrat were five to ten points ahead of Trump, uh, that would eventually, you know, that's predictive. Uh, but, uh, you know, who's at 13% versus 18% on the <coughs> preference? Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who wins the nomination will become well-known, so the fact they're not well-known at the moment isn't consequential right. to how they would do in a general election, is consequential to how they would do in the primaries. Now, how about getting well-known in the summer and fall 2019? Because you have, first of all, you have Democrats running the House now. So Democrats can make news on a daily basis in Congress in a, in a positive way if they so choose. Yeah. They could talk policy is just complaining about stuff. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who we mentioned, is tremendous at social media. She is great at causing a disturbance at the drop of a hat. So she's a distraction. And then you have the master of distraction in Donald Trump who on a daily basis is tweeting things and his administration does things. So you have these 10, 15, 20 people running for president. How are you going to get noticed in that kind of climate? Well, you get noticed by winning. Right. Um, but you have debates. You can have a debate in June. You'll have a debate in July. They're off in August. They're back in September. So that's obviously a big moment for you. So if you think of that debate for the Republicans, uh, who, who came out of those well? Um, Carly Fiorina did okay for a while and hung on a little bit longer than you'd expect. And the in 2012, Kane did okay for a while. But those debates, if you if you do well in one of those debates, it, it has to pay off in Iowa or New Hampshire in one of the early primaries but you go to back get to, money. But you go back to 2016, and the first Republican debate was in Cleveland. Yeah. And what was the story coming out of that? Donald Trump and Megyn Kelly. Yeah. yeah, a preview of attractions. <laughs> right, right, and, the, but, and no remember, one has had Trump's skill at sort of just sucking the oxygen out of the room. Uh, Scott Walker, if you recall, <laughs> had the most money mm-hmm. going into that, and he was gone. Uh, I don't know if he's even made it to New Hampshire mm-hmm. because he didn't do very well in Iowa, right? And he got, uh, and he didn't do very well in the debate. So the debates yeah. matter some, but it's a combination, and you got to do well in the debate, and you have to you have to get some you have to get voters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my prediction is the candidates that are presenting themselves as more moderate, more electable, and so forth, will do poorly in this system. Uh, that you know what you saw in 2016 on the Republican side, where Ted Cruz. You know, who certainly had very little uh, appeal as a general election candidate. Um, he won Iowa. He won Iowa, and right. You know, was was one of the, was, you know, last three standing. Right. 
Although, again, uh, that field was just at all times dwarfed by Trump, either in a result right. of yeah, his Ted I don't think out. anyone in this Democratic field will do what Trump did in terms of dominating them so much. Or just trying but, to be Donald Trump. Right? But it's, it's still the fact that uh, to emerge from the pack here, you've got to have a really enthusiastic uh, set of people well, back. you. Well, what's you similar and, to it is there's going to be on the Democratic side, there's going to be who's the... Uh, AOC candidate, mm -hmm. i.e. the outsider, and the person like Trump. And so Cruz at the beginning wanted to be the outsider, right? and he lost that to Trump, and then he became the establishment candidate against Trump. So we're going to see some of that here, but you see Klobuchar, Biden, and some others wanting to be the mainstream, yeah. I, I can win. I just predict that that will not work well for a candidate. Yeah, I think that's, say, why Cory Booker has uh, not really uh, focused too much on specific policies. He's talking about, we're trying to bring us all together. So they're all trying to pull strategies that can I get them. I think whatever lane Cory Booker tries to jump into, to splash into, to swim, if you want to use the tired yeah. swim lane metaphor, he finds a lot of bodies in the pool already. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, if he wants to be the African-American candidate, there's Kamala as the other African-American candidate. He wants to be the... He wants to be the progressive candidate. Line forms to the rear progressive candidates. Yep. He mm -hmm. wants to be the most bombastic candidate. <laughs> and on it goes. So, <laughs> I think he'll win that one. <laughs> so I think, I think he's a guy who struggles for a niche, whereas you can argue Kamala has a niche right now in on, on terms of being biracial. Bernie Sanders, well, he's he's the OG socialist in the crowd. He was yeah. socialist before socialism was cool. Elizabeth Warren's the yeah, anti-wealth candidate. I think Booker's batting on the, well, I want to bring us all together theme. Yeah. No, I, I didn't say it worked. I'm just saying that's what he's betting Okay, on. so this leads to an uh, uh, interesting question. Why is nobody talking about Barack Obama in this field? The last guy who made Democrats really feel good. Uh, I think he's too moderate for this uh, Democratic Party. Okay. I also think the reason is because he won't, uh, he won't take a stand and say, I'm for, I'm for anybody. Uh, so I'm for the nominee, and I think what, what those people, if you're not going to take a stand, yeah, then, but then you're not of any utility to right. me. There were all the years after Reagan where Republican candidates would worship at the shrine of Reagan. Correct. And I don't think you're seeing that for Obama, that people are, you know, I mean, Obama's popular among Democrats, but it's not like the candidates are saying, can I attach myself to the Obama legacy? We're going to do more of that. This but, is, you know, Obama had the uh, health care plan that was a, you know, an attempt to be right. somewhat centrist on mm -hmm. it. Um, he left with the belief, you know, at 55% popularity right. with um, quite a bit of support among uh, middle America. Uh, these candidates are running to the left, and that's where they get their juice from. I just find it curious because it's a very easy segue for a Democrat to say, let's talk about the good old days. Let's talk mm -hmm. about when we had a Democrat and the man of integrity in the White House and we had Democrats mm -hmm. running Congress and boy, look at the stuff we got going. That's what I want to do again. But you're yeah. right, you don't hear the talk about Obama. You also And on the Clintons, it's like, well, those were terrible days. Well, this, so this is the other question. She's still sitting out there. Now she... I, she hasn't said she wouldn't run. She hasn't said she wouldn't run, and I, if we, we can't bet on presidential runs, so I hate to think what the Vegas odds would be on her running, but she hasn't taken herself out of it, and right. she does media. She, was, she did an interview the other day where she was talking about the race, so she remains in the news, and she still has a network, and she still has donors, and until the time when she formally takes herself out, she's still a president. Right. So here's the question. You're running for the Democratic nomination in 2020. Do you want Hillary's endorsement? 
No. And no. the reason she's not You didn't gonna, even think no, about that. <laughs> she's not going to give it because if you're Hillary Clinton, very ambitious woman, mm -hmm. you're thinking what we just talked about earlier. Imagine you come out of Super Tuesday with six candidates that are all at 15, 18%. Right. Just as Jerry Brown jumped in earlier late in the game, I wouldn't put it past her to say, okay, I am the candidate who can come in, pull this together, I can win this time. I'm sure that thought is in the back of her head. Thank you. I just, uh, I, then don't, why, I don't see it working. I didn't say it would work. I said she's not going to endorse anybody because that's what she's thinking. So, she, so the clever Democrats, I think, have already moved on from her and, and figured she's not to be feared. Uh, a good example yeah. is Kamala Harris. So Kamala does her big campaign kickoff in Oakland. And if you look at the crowd at Oakland, it's, of course, it's diversity on display because it's Oakland, and that's what Kamala wants to tout. But you'll notice there are some very wealthy white people sitting very close to the stage. Yeah. Those are Hillary financial people who were brought over to San Francisco. Yes. So Kamala is already cherry-picking into Hillary world. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so she, she can't uh, – well, uh, it would be interesting to see how she comes up in the debates uh, and whether, why, whether how big a factor she might have been in losing versus uh, – It'll be interesting to see that question when it comes up in the debate, as it will. Right. Okay, so final question, guys, and I'll let you go. Um, so we have a little time before the votes actually start, 11 months until Iowa. <laughs> You're polling on this stuff every week, Doug, but yeah. for those who don't live and breathe this stuff, when do you actually start paying attention? Labor Day? Um, yeah, I think that's when it starts to get real. Mm -hmm. um, the campaign will evolve over the summer. Some people are going to do better or worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, will Amy Klobuchar get a positive article between now and Labor Day? Uh, uh, Not in the New York Times. No. Well, but remember, by August, uh, right. August Trump was, uh, because of the uh, speech that everybody thought would take him out in yeah. May, uh, the uh, speech about Mexicans and the border, uh, Trump was uh, in first place. Uh, he was right. the only person in double digits. and. And manage to maintain. So there will be, right. so we'll see. But, you know, I mean, not a lot of people are, are watching at this point, but it doesn't mean that the people who are watching don't form opinions about how the candidates are doing, mm -hmm. and those will affect uh, who's going to have funding and who's going to be viable in the fall. Uh, so there are people like Sanders who can raise money off of small donors. So can Beto. Uh, right. Right. Um, and and then there are people who depend on uh, big donor support right. uh, to be competitive. Um, and uh, I think what you'll see is that some of the donors will decide certain candidates are not viable mm -hmm. and they will probably not drop out, but they will be struggling. Uh, and it's not obvious that you can continue outside of an election cycle to raise money the way Sanders is doing at the moment, and right. Beto did in 2018. I, I think yeah. you have to. Uh, you can get through uh, Iowa and New Hampshire mm -hmm. without having that, in, and mm -hmm. continue to believe you can win. Right. Uh, as that famous congressman, Republican congressman from down south, ran every year through New Hampshire and then quit. Mm -hmm. uh, I've now forgotten his name, but you can do that. But uh, money's going to make a difference in this too. Uh, right. Money, uh, money. In Harold No, no, that's <laughs> Minnesota. Uh, I, you, you know, I mean, he was a, con a Republican right. congressman down there, ran all the time. But, but the point is that that's right. Money's going to make a Ron difference. Paul. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Money is... Well, money he had a constituency. It. He yeah. did. And look, Bernie Sanders is a, a freak of nature. I mean, who else can raise $6 million in 24 hours off mm-hmm. a small donation? So he has a network that we get to set aside. Uh, it's a great question for your friend Cory Booker, Dave, because Cory Booker is counting on a lot of big money, especially coming out of New York. You know, Elizabeth Warren has already made it a point to, to say she's not going to take large donations. Mm-hmm. G. Corey should do the same, so we'll see he's if he's not move. going. He's uh, <laughs> right, not going to happen. So yeah, so Bernie Sanders can just kind of go on throughout the whole thing. Well, a big donation, if you mean by a big donation, up to twenty five hundred or a thousand. Yeah. And the Sanders thing will be interesting to watch because if you go back to twenty sixteen, remember he got a lot of grief within the party from he would not concede, he would not get out, he would not give it up. He didn't endorse her until July. So you can see him running the string out on the scene because he's Bernie Sanders. He doesn't listen to anybody. So, yeah, Bernie can monetize. Beto can monetize. But we'll see the others. Final question, gentlemen. So I gave you the Democratic floodwaters. 16 candidates in 1976 and 15 in 1972. So let's say that for, again, this round number, let's say 18 Democrats get into this thing at some point in 2019. When the calendar flips to 2020, Dave and Doug, how many Democrats will there be? Over, under 15 and 16. This is January of 2020. I'll take Jan- the under. January. Yeah, I mean, we're going to separate the January wheat. January of 2020. 2020. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm getting Before at, the we're, we're going to separate the wheat from the chaff late in the year, and about and a handful of people are going to drop out because it's just not there. I think 15 is kind of a reasonable guess. I'd uh, say 15 to 17, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'd go slightly on the lower side. Interesting. Okay, so I got you on record, 15 or 16, but you're on the lower side. He is. He yeah, is. He's on the upper side. Okay. <laughs> I think I said 13. <laughs> All right. Dave Brady and Doug Rivers, thanks for the conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Bill. Same here. Thank you. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States and those men and women who would like to be the 46th President of the United States. God, I guess I have to change the name of this podcast, won't we? <laughs> if you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us and tell your friends all about us. You can find the Hoover Institution online at www.hoover.org. While you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Hoover's fellows, including Dave Brady and Doug Rivers, straight to your inbox weekdays. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at HooverInst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. You just heard Dave Brady say he is not on social media. However, Doug Rivers is. Doug Rivers' Twitter feed is at Doug underscore Rivers. And I would also encourage you to go to his company, YouGov, and look them up, too. That is at YouGov. That is spelled Y-O-U-G-O-V. Guys, anything else to plug? Mailed Please by, not to uh, be on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> with a stamp on it to Brady. There you go. Mail today, Brady. Tweet to Doug Rivers. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.